0: But what are we free to? So if we're freed from something, God must be freeing us to do something else. So what are we free to do? Last week we learned that we are free to love one another. We're free to love our neighbor as ourselves. We're free to share what God has done for us with others. We also learned that that freedom isn't a license to do whatever you decide to do, to do whatever you want. In fact, what we've found and what you've probably experienced in life and your family and loved ones and people around you is that often when people think they're free, all the things that they say, well, I'm free to do this, I'm free to drink, I'm free to do other things, drugs, whatever it may be. When I'm free to do those things, they actually turn into bondage, and I've experienced it in my family, and many of you have seen it as well, if not in your own families. That the things, the very things that we think give freedom actually lead to bondage, lead to addiction, Leads to holding us back to everything that God has called us to be and do. And we find ourselves not free, but in bondage to something else. So we learn that it's not a license, God's grace isn't a license to do whatever we want. Because when we do whatever we want, sometimes that leads to bondage. But it is a license to love others. It is a license to love our neighbor as ourselves. It is a license to share our faith in what God has done in our lives with other people. So that's what we've been learning over the last several weeks. Not only what grace is, which is important, but even more important, what does grace do? What does it do in our lives? And so this morning I want to close a little bit differently with some stories about grace to help us understand and hopefully really grab on to what grace means for each one of us. I would say looking out here and maybe even watching online, that every one of us need grace in the busyness of life. And let me say it more personally, you need grace in the busyness of life. With hectic school schedules, work schedules, online, in person, asynchronous learning, Zoom, Google Classroom, all these fun things that parents get to say that they never said before, you need grace. I think at one point Sarah said, If I hear asynchronous learning one more time, I'm going to throw my phone, or something along those lines. <laughs> So you need grace in your devotional life when you find it nearly impossible to focus your mind on what you're reading, to quiet your mind and focus on what God's word is speaking to you. Sometimes, if we're just being real, we read and they're just words on a page. They seem lifeless. You need God's grace in your devotional life. You need grace through the tough times of life. Maybe the loss of a loved one, divorce, your kids growing up. You see, sometimes you wish you could go back and do things differently. You wish you could go back and change the way things were, the ways that you reacted. You wish you could take it all back. You need grace if you're a prodigal son or daughter and you're here in this room or you're listening online and every one of us has prayed the, played the prodigal at one point or another in our lives and if you have returned God's saving grace has changed your life forever but I want to speak to the prodigal today you've been gone too long far too long It's time to come home to a father who loves you. You need to experience his grace. You see, when you think about the meaning of life, you think about the wasted years of life, you think about poor choices, God answers every mess of life with one word, grace. No matter what you've been through, no matter what you've done, no matter what mistakes you've made, God's answer to that is always his grace. His grace is what? It's sufficient. His grace is enough. So what does grace do? Because again, it's not just about what grace is. Sure, we can all define grace maybe in one way or another, but what does it do for us? We are saved by grace. We've learned this throughout this series. We are saved by grace. We can't earn it. We can't do enough good deeds to to accomplish it. We can't somehow figure it out how to save ourselves. We are saved by grace. We are changed by grace. What does that mean? Is when God's grace is truly working in our lives, we begin to experience a transformation in our lives. We begin to seize things differently. We begin to allow God's word to speak to us differently. We hear a message that's preached from from a... a pulpit like this or from a stage and it pierces our hearts we hear a worship song and for some reason that song just pierces our hearts and we become sensitive to the holy spirit and what he's speaking to us we are changed by grace we are shaped by grace you see because grace continues to help us through every storm and every obstacle and every mountain that we go through we are shaped by it because We have become who we are simply because of God's grace working in our lives through every circumstance. Every time he brought us through something, he's continuing to shape us and who he wants us to be. We are shaped by grace. We are strengthened by grace. Let me speak to you this morning. If you are feeling weak, if you are feeling empty, if you feel like you're running out of fumes, And just to be honest, your pastor has felt that way many times, even in the last several months. Grace strengthens us. Why? Because every time we say we can't, grace says you can. Every time you don't feel like getting up out of bed, grace says it's time to get going. Grace continues to work on our lives and gives us the strength not because we're good enough, not because we're strong enough, because God's grace working in us says, I can help you through this season of life. I can help you take the next step. That's why we, when we sing that song, step by step you lead me, and I will follow you all of my days. We take step by step in his presence. We don't get there all at once. It's step by step. He strengthens us. We take that step, and he gives us a strength in the next step, and the next step, and the next step. But sometimes it just, it just requires us to take the first step. And then he leads us the next step. Yes, his his grace strengthens us when we are weak. We are emboldened by grace. Why? Because, you know, one of the things that holds so many of us back as believers in Christ is our past sin, shame, and guilt. We think we can't speak to anybody about anything because of what we've done in our past. But the word of God says that... we actually overcome by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony you have every right to speak god's truth and love into eve every situation so we're emboldened by grace because it's only by grace that we've been saved it's not because we're better than other people it's not because we're sinless it's simply by his grace and because of his grace we can be bold before christ not feeling like we're less than and we're also softened by grace. Why? Because we, when we recognize God's grace at work in our lives and how far he's brought us, we can be a lot softer with those that are giving us a difficult time, those we're having a tough time with, those we may disagree with. Why? Because God's grace has worked in your life in such a way that you don't know where you'd be today without it. Nor would I. So it softens us and makes us sensitive to other people that may not agree with us on everything. You see, in the book of Titus, we see Paul writing to a young man. And he left this young man in a new church that was started in the island of Crete. And as we've been talking about grace and we've been talking about law, we recognize that the same thing that was happening in Galatia was happening here on this island. People were following up with Paul and saying, Paul had it all wrong. You must be circumcised. You must follow the law in order to be saved. And Titus was left there to try to keep this church straight, to keep them in the narrow way, to keep them in the gospel of grace, to keep them believing what Paul had taught them all that time. So as we're going to read this letter, this is Paul's letter to Titus as he's encouraging him about grace and how to continue teaching this grace to the church. Titus chapter 2 verse 11 says, for the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. Now this morning I want to say to you that as, as as we've continued this series, one of the things that I've hoped to do and that I hope that you've picked up on is that God's grace has been revealed to you if you misunderstood it before, if you weren't sure exactly what God's grace was, if you're not sure how it worked in your life, I wanted to make sure that there was a revelation for you of God's grace in your life, that you not only understood it, but you sensed what God was trying to do in your life. God's grace, God's grace, the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. So what is grace? We've learned that it is the undeserved unmerited favor and kindness of God. In other words, we can't earn it. We can't do enough good things to get it. It's undeserved. You know, when we first get saved, I think we, we know that we've been saved by the unmerited favor of God. But 20 years later, when we've done a number of things of God and we have, you know, a long list of ministries and things we've been a part of and all the things that we've done for others... It begins it actually gets a little bit easy to think, well, maybe I did earn a portion of my salvation." And we forget that salvation is not by our works, no matter all the things we've done over 20 years, and all, as a ministry is pounded up and we have a list of things that we used to do, it's not enough to earn our salvation still. We're on the same level playing field when it comes to God's grace. The Bible says, even your righteousness, and Paul even speaks this in Romans chapter 3, your righteousness is like filthy rags. It's also spoken in Isaiah, the same thing. Your righteousness is like filthy rags. Now, you've heard it said, you know, there's many moments where Jesus was teaching the people around him, and he would say, you've heard it said this, but I say this. What I want to share with you today is not from Jesus from me. But I think it's a good way to state this. You've heard it said that love covers a multitude of sins. Now I say unto you, grace covers a multitude of stupid sins. Not quite the Bible, but I like that. Grace covers a multitude of stupid sins. Now you don't have to raise your hands, but has anyone here ever done anything stupid? Don't raise your hands. Keep them down. See, when we know we've made a lot of mistakes, when we know we've done some things that are just stupid, I don't know why why I did that, doesn't it make us thankful for God's grace? Thank you, Lord, for your grace in those moments when I just didn't get it right. See, the Greek word for grace is a, a word called charis. Charis can mean gift, so we know this as, you know, when we talk about charismatic gifts or we talk about charisma, it means gift, but it also means grace, and depending on the context, it's translated in different ways. And this was a word that was a cultural word long before the Bible started using it or Paul started using it in the New Testament. It implied a benevolent gift from a superior to an inferior, so it's somebody who, who has something that's giving something to somebody who has little. So it's not meaning superior or that they're better than. It just simply means they have more than the person that they're giving to. Just a reference to someone in need. Now, when someone of wealth uh, saw someone in need, uh, they helped them. And this is called caris. This is a gift. This was a grace. Now, often these transactions involve three parties. On the surface, it looks like it only involves two, but... Often the person, there's just the person giving and the person receiving. Now, the closest English words to the Greek is that the person providing the goods is called a patron. The person receiving the goods is called a client. So let's give an example here. So a patron owns a shoe store, and he wants to provide shoes for children in an orphanage. They would be the client's. So who's the third person? The third person would be called a broker. The broker would go out into the community and see the needs of the inferior and bring the needs of the inferior together to the person who is superior or at least just has more. The broker paid for the merchandise. The patron provides the shoes. The client receives the shoes, but the, break, the broker paid for it from the funds that was provided by the other one. Now, when we think about grace... We think about gifts. Think about somebody who we could never give back to, that's given something to us. The broker is Jesus. He brought us together with the Father. He also paid it in full for us. He paid the bill. And he stamped our sin paid in full. Paid in full. I listened to this podcast not that long ago, and I listened to some, to some people, and they, a lot of times some of the podcasts I listen to will post old messages, some from the 80s, 70s, you know, so I listen to all kinds of different things there. There's this pastor, his name was Dr. E.V. Hill. He passed away in 2003, but he shares this powerful testimony about how God had provided for him, how God had really brought to light this idea that things were paid in full, he said when he was younger, he told his mother that he wanted to be a pastor. His mother said, well, you're going to need to go to college. He didn't think about it much when he was young because he didn't really understand all the things that would be required, but as he grew older, he realized that he wouldn't be able to go to college. They were very poor. He was a minority. She was a single mother, and they just there weren't any aid and programs at that time for him, for minorities. So he just thought, you know, I'll never be able to go to college. And as he got older, he had to prepare his mother for that. So he continually just kind of poked at her and said, Mom, I'm not going to be able to go to college. He said, Mom, I still want to be a pastor, but I may not be able to go to college. And she would say, Son, you are going to go to college. He said, Mom, we can't afford college. She would look him right in the eye and said, Son, God will provide. Every time he brought it up, mom said the same thing Son, God will provide. So she sent him up on the day to register. He had all of his books. He was standing in line at that registrar, and there were about five people ahead of him. And he was just sitting back there thinking, I am so embarrassed. I am so ashamed. I should not be here. I don't have any money to pay this bill. The line kept getting shorter and shorter, closer and closer to his turn. But he remembered his mother saying, God will provide. So he took a step up to that window. Step by step, you lead me. He took a step up to that window, and when he did, a man stood up right beside him, took his hand, put money in it, and looked him right in the eye and said, Son, God will provide. The woman behind the window told him how much he owed, and she counted it out. It was the right amount. She took the bill and stamped it, paid in full. He remembered for the first time thinking, that's what Jesus did for us. He stamped our debt as paid in full. He provided his son as payment for our sin when he needed it the most. See, when you think about grace, it's either free or earned. It cannot be both. And what we've learned over the past several weeks is that grace is free. You should never give a birthday present to someone and say, okay, that'll be $46, please. May remind some of you of your gifts from your children at Christmas that you paid for. What is it? How much did it cost me? But other than that, gifts are free, right? So grace is that Christ died for our sins. We are reminded in light of God's grace how we are to live because of that grace. Titus chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. It says, and we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. While we look forward with hope so that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ will be revealed. His grace is revealed, but someday he will be revealed. I heard this other story. There's a great picture of God's grace and how it works in our lives. It's about a father and son named Rick and Dick Hoyt. Rick was born with the the umbilical cord wrapped around his neck, and as the oxygen was cut off from his brain for a while, he had never been able to walk or to talk. But they found out that he was growing up, and when he was growing up, he was extremely intelligent because they would watch his eyes as they communicated, and he communicated through his eyes. They taught him the alphabet, even though he could not talk. He did this by using his eyes. In 1973, even with the technology back then, they gathered a group of engineers who invented a computer where he could move a cursor with his eyes and highlight letters and then bump something, kind of like a mouse, that would allow him to speak words for the first time through the computer. That technology has has been advanced now and it's used all over the world. But when he was 15, one of his classmates was paralyzed in an accident. And in that accident, this uh, this person was actually going to be running a 5K to raise money for him. (laughs) Through the computer, he told his dad, I want to run that race. So his dad, who was not a runner, trained so that he could push his son in a wheelchair for that race. After the race, he said to his dad, that's the first time in my life that I did not feel handicapped. So his dad continued to train. Now they have run in 72 marathons and 255 triathlons. Triathlons, 2.4 miles of swimming, 26.2 miles of running, 112 miles of biking. You see, when Dick swims, Rick is being pulled by Dick on a little raft. When Dick cycles, Rick is in a seat in the front of his bicycle. When Dick runs, Rick is in the chair and Dick is pushing. Everything that you have done and everything that I have done is because the Father is pushing you and pulling you and carrying you. And that's a picture of God's grace working in your life and in my life. All he is asking of you is to give up control and to put yourself in the chair. He'll push you, he'll drag you, he'll pull you by his grace through whatever life brings you through, whatever challenges there are, be it water, be it biking on the road, or be it running, he will carry you through every circumstance. That is grace. When we choose to give up control and let the Father push us along, let the Father sacrifice and do the work which he has already done, that's a picture of God's grace for us. Titus chapter 2, verse 14, says he gave his life to free us. Everybody say free us. He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, and to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. You see, true freedom is recognizing that you have been saved from sin to salvation. From darkness to light. From law to grace. From death to life, from sin and shame to righteousness. God's grace brings us from, to. And this gives us freedom to love one another. This gives us freedom to love our neighbor. This gives us freedom to share our story about what God's grace has done for us. We are all in need of God's grace every day. Every one of us here in this room need God's grace every day. First, we need his saving grace, and then we need his sustaining grace, continuing to help us through the difficult circumstances of life. And this morning, you may need to experience his saving grace. Or you may really be in a, a need of sustaining grace right now. What I want to say to you is no matter how far you have been, you are not ever too far gone. doesn't matter what you've done in your past, the number of sins you've committed, whether you've been struggling the past several months and you need his grace to carry you along because you have been trying to control things. And one of the things that we've learned, if nothing else, from this pandemic is that you have control of nothing. There's very little that we have control over. There's circumstances that happen to us, but what do we do with those circumstances? Do we live in fear? Do we become slaves to fear? You become slaves in bondage. You see, the Father is waiting for you to give up control and to get into the chair. Another popular country song not that long ago is Jesus, take the wheel. Just take the wheel. I've tried it on my own, I've tried to direct it the way I think it should go. I'm headed for a pit, I'm headed for destruction, I'm headed for a collision. God, I need you to take the wheel because I'm not being very successful on my own here. And He will push you along by His grace. Getting in the chair is the only way to feel as if you're no longer handicapped by sin. I want to say that again. I want you to hear it. Getting in that chair is the only way that you will no longer feel handicapped by sin. You're giving up control. and he will push you along by his grace. He will take you where you need to be, and yes, the Lord will provide for you. He has provided his son, Jesus Christ, as a payment for your sin and for my sin. This morning, I'm going to ask with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're ready to surrender your life to him, whether for the first time or for the 100th time or the millionth time, I don't care how many times you've done it before, if you're saying this morning, Pastor John, I want to surrender my life fully and completely. I know that I can't do it on my own. I'm surrendering it to you right now. I'm surrendering it to the Lord right now. I want you to say this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I surrender my life to you today. I've tried to do it all my way for far too long now. I'm ready to give my life to you. By your grace, forgive my sin, forgive my past, and make me new today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you said that prayer, I want to encourage you to download a free app. It's called YouVersion, spelled Y-O-U, version. And you'll see in there all kinds of different Bible reading plans. Search for this one, First Steps for New Believers. That'll take you through some good first steps for you as you're taking that step that we just talked about this morning. You're taking the first step to giving your life to Christ. You're taking the first step to surrendering your life to Him. This morning, let's let's all stand together. I want to read as we continue here in Titus, Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. I want to read this over you this morning as a reminder of God's grace at work in our lives. And it says this. It says, Remind the believers to submit to the government and its officers. They should be obedient, always ready to do what is good. They must not slander anyone and must avoid quarreling. Instead, they should be gentle and show true humility to everyone. Once we, too, were foolish and disobedient. We were misled and became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy, and we hated each other. But when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And because of his grace, he made us right in his sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to insist on these teachings so that all who trust in God will devote themselves to doing good. These teachings are good and beneficial for everyone. So my charge to you this week is to go and do good. Avoid quarreling. Be gentle and show humility. Live and walk in grace. Amen. God bless you. Have a great Sunday.